delighted to be here, uh, totally delighted, and thank you very much, Carla, uh, for the generous introduction, and I'm truly uh, glad to be with you. Um, today we are going to continue reflecting on Luke 9, and the theme I elected is Reimagining Jesus. The subtitle is Renouncing False Visions and Confronting the Powers. As I was thinking deeply about chapter 9, which is kind of going to be um, where we are going to be, uh, chapter 9 of uh, the Gospel of Luke, it, it actually hit me that this is what this is about. And the challenge to us to reimagine who Jesus really is. And, you know, we come to church. Those of you who've been coming to church since you were born, uh, put up your hands. All right. Uh, up, up, let me just get a sense of, wow, absolutely. This sounds like half. Those of us who are new to this thing, you know, new to this thing, you really didn't even care too much about church. Put up your hand. Oh, dear. This is so sad. Guys, do you see how sad this is? Do you get my point? Just look around. We're all churchgoers. <laughs> we need more people who don't care really about church. But anyway, so I think part of our challenge is that we can imagine we know Jesus. Especially because we've, been, we've had the stories, right, from Sunday school. Sometimes I read these children's uh, Bibles and I'm thinking, oh, God. What imagination are these stories creating for our children about who God is? So, we think we know. The challenge, of course, is this. We don't know what we don't know. Right? <laughs> we don't know what we don't know. And precisely because of that, we think we know a lot. And it doesn't help, bear with me, if you are an evangelical. It really doesn't help. <laughs> I'm sorry. Evangelicals, where you put up our hands, I know, Lord, have mercy upon us. You really, <laughs> because we have been grown to think that we know, we know the truth, evangelical truth. And I think that that's a hindrance. So today, I hope that there is going to be a disruption. Disruption. That word, disruption. Can you say it to your neighbor? Disruption. Disruption. The other word is subversion, subversion. Tell your neighbor subversion. So I'm really hoping that this is going to be subversive to your images of who Jesus is. It's going to kind of disrupt you. Are you, are you ready for this? So if you really don't like disruption, uh, please open the doors. You've had your time. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I can do this because, in a sense, I come from outside and I can see uh, what happens here. So this could even be my last sermon at Vintage, you know. <laughs> and I'm ready for that. So Luke chapter 9 is very troublesome, and that's where I would like us to go. But to enter that, I would like us to read... Uh, Luke chapter uh, 9, verses 51 to 56. And the person reading, please, if you can come. The, we read this passage last Sunday. Do you remember that? Uh, but the someone wasn't on this passage. Do you remember that too? 
So we thought, let's go in this. Let's enter the rest of Luke by looking at this passage. But hopefully it opens us up to the rest of Luke chapter 9 as a way to think about this amazing uh, text that we've been focusing our attention on. Please remember the theme is reimagining Jesus, renouncing false visions, confronting the powers. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messages on messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jacinta. I don't know as that passage was read to us so beautifully. I don't know what hit you. Anything that struck you or you were not listening. And if you are not listening, that's okay. That happens to me a lot in church. So you're in good company. <laughs> Anything that hit you, tell your neighbor if there's something that really struck you. Tell your neighbor. I'm not joking, actually. I mean it. But if there's nothing, just tell your neighbor nothing. <laughs> right. Luke chapter 9 is a very interesting uh, chapter in the entire Gospel of Luke. It's, it's, I checked, it's the third longest chapter, I think. The longest is Luke chapter 1, 80 verses. I'm going by the verses. The second longest is chapter 22, 71 verses, and this one, 62. This story comes towards the end of the chapter 9. Of course, you know that divisions of chapters are imposed on the script, you know that. Uh, chapters and verses are not part of scripture, right? So, but somebody organized, you know, uh, hopefully under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I look at chapters and I'm fairly confident that the person who divided them wasn't really well guided, but that's okay. <laughs> Please, chapters and verses are not, you know, uh, you know, scripture as it should be. But anyway, this is chapter 9. Let's stay with those stories. But as you look at this particular incident, within the theme, the passage, the entire account of the Gospel of Luke, clearly there is a movement. The time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolved Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Two clear movements. One, a movement out from this earth. Jesus is clear. But secondly, a movement towards Jerusalem. He then sends out his messengers on ahead. Clearly, and if you look at that map of Galilee, Judea, in between Samaria, 
clearly Jesus has decided that he is going to pass through the region of Samaria. He didn't have to because there was a bypass, but he decides. I don't know why Jesus sends messengers ahead who to go to the Samaritan villages to get things ready for him. I don't know. I have this suspicion. There is a long history of hostility, long history of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. Long history. Does that make sense to any peoples where there's a long history of hostility? Which one? Which one? Which one? Ireland and who? And England? Wow, okay. Any other? China and? And Hong Kong? I didn't know. Any, any other? Let's come closer here in this country. <laughs> Let's be bold and say it. Right, long history. And you know, it was a history in which superiority, inferiority, othering, a history in which the Jews despised the Samaritans. And the Jews had theological reasons for despising Samaritans. They had a doctrinal basis for despising Samaritans. They had cultural basis and on and on. But the hostility was intense. In fact, so intense, they had different locations, Gerasim and the other. So, I wonder whether Jesus decided, in the light of that history, to say, go ahead, check how things are. I don't know who was on that delegation. Because he simply says, messengers. So they go to the Samaritan villages to get things ready for him. But the people resisted. It looks like after the delegation returns to Jesus, they tell him, Rabbi, things are tight. <laughs> you cannot expect a welcome. But Jesus, it seems to me, still says, I will go anywhere. When he shows up, they don't welcome him. Because the reason he is heading where? To Jerusalem. I mean, it resurrects those deep feelings of hostility. You are going to Jerusalem? Our historical enemies? No way. Now, I don't know whether James and John were part of the delegation. Good people, when you read the Bible, use your imagination, okay? These are human stories. James and John, who then ask Jesus, Lord, these guys have rejected you. They don't even know who they are rejecting. They don't know what you are able to do. Show them. What does they ask him to do? Call fire down from heaven to destroy them. Violence. Let's finish them. Prove them that you are the one, the Messiah. Right? Violence. Now, don't be too harsh on the Samaritans. We all are socialized in a history of violence against the other. 
Hello? All of us, check your ancestors. I don't have time to give you a history lesson of this country. This country distresses me. This country is so socialized. This violence is embedded in this story. Christianity loves violence. Let's be kind to each other. The Samaritans are doing what we all do. Call violence. Jesus stands and rebukes them. What? Do you remember another story? When they are coming to arrest Jesus. Do you remember that story? And Peter is like, hmm. This shall not happen on my watch. Peter was so well prepared, he had sharpened his knife, right? Tom, do you mind? Of course, I don't want people. So can you imagine what Peter has decided? You think that Peter is foolish to go for the ear. You know the story? Tom, stand up. You think that uh, Peter is foolish to go for the ear. What did he go for? For the neck. But then the guy did this, and he caught the ear. <laughs> Please sit. Peter did it. Violence. We think the way to sort it out is violence. Let's ask the question. Why do the Samaritans act this way? Why does James and John propose violence? Why? I want to suggest this. Is that there is an imagination that informs their action. There is an imagination of who the Samaritans are. There is an imagination by the Samaritans of who Jesus is. Why do the Samaritans reject Jesus? They have not seen him, but they reject him up front, even without seeing him. Why? I am suggesting that the clue to understand all this is imagination. You see, friends, what we experience, what we hear, what we are told, what we tell of ourselves, what we read shapes our imagination. Our cultures shape our imagination. Our relationship historical with the other, our families, our history. So this history of hostility between Jerusalem and Gerizim, between the Jews and the Samaritans, created an imagination from the Samaritans and located Jesus, located Jesus into the story of the Jews. So it's not Jesus, it's a Jew. So you see, imagination creates labels. Imagination has this capacity to invisibilize, to cause the other not to be seen. Jesus is not seen for who he is. He is simply Jew. I'll never forget entering a lift in Philadelphia. A younger man, I didn't have a, a beard as I do now. I had most of my hair. So guys, I once had hair completely, totally. Uh, this side, not this side. <laughs> so I am in the lift, I am alone. 
and it's a wealthy area where I was, really one of these wealthy areas, you know, uh, like one of the most wealthy areas you can imagine of Pasadena. So I'm in the lift, and you know how the lift opens. And when the lift opened on the floor, I think it was the third floor, I was alone, um, white-looking woman, uh, rather so-called white-looking, I use so-called because nobody is white. I use so-called because nobody is black, right? So anyway, she, she does, I couldn't believe it. She does this and literally like this. In, because I'm alone in the lift. Now, so what, what's the imagination that hits her when she sees me? These imaginations shape how we respond, especially to the other. So the Samaritans are like, no way, imagination. So they imagine Jesus to simply be like all other Jews, right? What is the imagination that James and John have of the Samaritans, right? We can keep going. Imagination, imagination. Let's go to this chapter nine and constantly ask ourselves, what is the imagination that is shaping the actions, the responses in these stories? So if you go to chapter nine, the first story that we looked at, it's Jesus sending out the 12 and he said to them, he gave them power and authority. You remember that story in chapter one? Uh, if you have your phones or your Bibles, please turn there. You know, please turn there. Just look at it very quickly. Uh, that might help. Uh, Jesus with sends the 12. Uh, he tells them, he gives them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. He sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. I mean, authority, power, kingdom, the sick, and amazing things happen. They come with an amazing report. They proclaim the good news. People are healed. However, somebody hears the story. What's his name? Herod. Power? What does Herod hear? What does Herod imagine? Defeat. So he responds. So imagination. Just think, as the disciples, the 12, are going around preaching, teaching, seeing amazing things happen, what is the imagination they have now of who Jesus is? You actually get a sense of what it is by the way they respond. They are the very people who now say, this power we experience, let it be unleashed against our enemies in the passage that we read. Okay, imagination. Jesus feeds this 5,000. Suppose you were there, you know, and you see this amazing thing. How many fishes? How many loaves? How many people? Hello, are you there? How many people? No, it's 5,000 men. So if you multiply for every man, <laughs> how many children? <laughs> If you multiply, this is a lot of human beings fed on. So that kind of experience of Jesus, suppose you are there, what does it create in your mind of who Jesus is? 
So it's with this imagination that they are walking with him. He feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. Then, I mean, they're warming up to this thing. How are they imagining Jesus is as the Messiah? What do you think? Power, authority, violence, finish the enemies. Yes, like who? Like King David, like Solomon. You know that history of this is going to be our Messiah. Right? Right? Chariots. What else? What do the Americans do? Guns. Wars. <laughs> Let's build wars. You know what I mean? Manifest our power. What do those of you who have money do? Or rather us who have money. We are people in this church, we are moneyed. You know, just look at each other. We live comfortably. What do we do? Jesus, right in the middle of all that imagination, a disruption, a subversion. Jesus says to them, who do you say that I am? What do the crowds say that I am? You know that passage in 18 to 20. And I honestly think this question is a question we must constantly ask. Who do you imagine Jesus to be? For who you imagine Jesus to be informs how you pray. Who you imagine Jesus to be informs, Tom, what you sing. Who you imagine Jesus to be informs, preacher Zach, what you say. Pastors, Lord, have mercy on us. Because we thrust our imagination upon you. Who do you think Jesus is? And they give him. Some say John the Baptist. What are they doing? They are factoring who Jesus is from their historical experience. Please remember this. Our history shapes our imaginations. What do they do? John the Baptist. What do they say? Elijah and others. One of the prophets of long ago. And then he says, but you. And Peter says, you are God's Messiah, right? God's Messiah, right? But even when he says God's Messiah, what's the imagination imbued in that God's Messiah? Again, you see it. So Jesus now explains what being a Messiah is, disruption. How does the Messiah exercise his power, his authority, his, his amazingness as one who comes in the name of the creator, the ultimate, the one who is, who was, and who is to come? How is he to manifest his power? Jesus says, the Messiah is going to be killed. No. Peter says, you got it wrong. That's not God's idea. Hello. Young man. Do you see Peter saying to Jesus, please, please, stop this. <laughs> God has a better idea. You know, you, you got it wrong. When I said God's Messiah, I did not mean that you're going to submit yourself to the Roman cross. No. Your job is to completely trounce the Romans. To finish them. And Jesus says, the son of man 
is going to suffer many things. He'll be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He must be killed and the third day be raised to life. What? Who are the people going to lead the rejection of Jesus? Do you know who they are? Theologians. Who are they? Religious bureaucrats. Guys, I am a bishop. Bishops led the way in rejecting Jesus. I'm serious. Pharisees, chief priests, teachers of the law. Because they had a certain imagination of who the Messiah is. Don't get it wrong. We miss it. Here is a disruption. Here is a subversion. What is Jesus here doing? He is subverting imaginations that create false visions of who God is. The invitation today is to surrender our false visions is to unlearn the things we have believed who Jesus is. Anyway, we keep going. Something happens. Remember that sermon in the Transfiguration by our pastor Ben? Amazing. But when Peter, James, and John have this encounter, what imagination does that create of them? Please, guys, it's the same James and John who when Jesus faces the Samaritans, James, who was at the Transfiguration, says... That thing we saw, that power needs to be shown now. These guys should know who you really are. Let me suggest to you, friends, if there's anything you take away from this, ask yourself, who do I imagine God to be? So there's that prayer we pray every day. I promised you disruption. I promised you subversion. So we pray, our Father who art in heaven. Are you with me? When you say our father, what imagination does that create of who God is? Tell your neighbor. Isn't it possible that that idea, that translation creates an imagination? I saw some pictures of what God looks like. And usually it would be some old man <laughs> with a beard, with, you know, this masculine, macho figure created by a way of thinking our father. Uh, our little granddaughter is amazing, uh, Salem, and it's okay, please report me. My son Joshua is here. So Salem is, uh, we're praying, and, and children, please listen to children, and Salem says, our father, but daddy or grandpa, why only our father? Why not our mother? So God our father, God our mother. <laughs> and then he says one day, but does God love little girls? Does God love girl children? And we say, but Salem, of course he does. And so Salem says, but then how come there are no baby girls in the Bible? Have you ever thought about it? And we say, no, no, no. I think the mother is the one who said, no, no, they're baby girls. Salem says, no. We always hear about baby who? Moses? Hello, baby who? Baby Isaac, baby? Baby Jesus, baby? Baby Samuel, 
All the babies in the Bible are boys. Anybody know a baby girl in the Bible? Put up your hand. Please help me. Because you saw my son and daughter-in-law, they say, you are the theologian, please help us out. And I say, I don't know. <laughs> Salem is right. There are no baby girls in the Bible. She says, okay, but Jesus is a baby. So Salem, one day we're praying, and she says, God our father, God our mother, God the baby. This is what's happening. Imagination. Let me keep the disruption. In our tradition as a, a church that is passionate for the work of the Holy Spirit, amen, 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 hallelujah. But you know there's that line we always use, and I think we even used it today. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Right. When you say that, what are you suggesting your imagination is? The imagination that, that, that is informed by that is that you actually have power to call, to invite. Come. Imagination. Jesus disrupts and he says the Messiah. Jesus is simply saying to those around him, renounce your false visions in order to embrace who Jesus truly is. Renounce your false visions of power. Because you see, in the very first passage, when Peter, James, and John, and the 12 confront the demons, the demons, I wonder whether when they get to the Samaritans, they have factored the Samaritans as part of the demon work. You know how we demonize people? How we, especially those who are different from us, the other. How their humanity is invisible to us and we simply label them. I wonder, so, we are confronting, we, because of our false visions, because of an imagination that is distorted by our history, by our culture, by our language, by our tradition, by the stories we've heard, by the stories we tell, it creates false visions, and the false visions lead to false encounter, false confrontations. So, James, John, and the disciples say, let's Deal with the powers. Who are the powers? The Samaritans. So your guns are aimed at the wrong powers. And you completely miss the real powers that must be confronted. The real demons that face us. And Jesus is saying, at the cross... By the Messiah submitting himself to the cross, that's the moment of confronting the powers. Jesus says to James and John, who call upon Jesus to unleash violence, and Jesus says, I wonder whether they have a conversation with James and John after, and Jesus maybe says to them, you got it wrong. The enemies are not Samaritans. 
The enemies are not them. In fact, the enemy is right within you. It's how you think. You imagine the Samaritan. That's the problem. The demons to cast out are not out there. Guys, did you know? The demons to cast out are not outside the church. Do you remember the first question I asked? How many here don't have a history of church? There was hardly anybody. The reason that they are not here is because of who we are. The reason they are not here is because of who we are. And the reason we are who we are is because of our imaginations. Let's keep going. And I promise I'll finish. So, after this encounter, transfiguration, we go to Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. This is amazing. Demon-possessed boy. People, can you imagine what this boy was in the community? Can you imagine the life of this boy, teenager? He could never, ever be part of VBS. Why? Because the... Uh, Carla, I won't speak about you because I know you'd do better than that. One of the pastors <laughs> would say, no, 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 no. Let's not allow this disruptive character. Because VBS must be a safe place for our children. Right? Right? Parents? Right? But it is this boy that Jesus gives attention to. And what does Jesus say? You unbelieving and perverse generation. Whew. This is directed against those who are really good theologians. <laughs> good, you know, the good people. <laughs> Jesus says, anyway, let's keep going. Anyway, they are all amazed at the greatness of God. Verse 43. Jesus predicts again his death. A second time, in the same chapter, the story comes back. Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man, the Messiah of God, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But, verse 45 is a very key verse, verse 45. But they did not understand what he meant. It was hidden from them. They could not get it. It was hidden from them. Now, it's possible to interpret this verse to mean that the Holy Spirit hid it from them. Why would the Holy Spirit do such things? Please. It's possible to say by providence of God. No. What hid it from them is their imagination. They were unable to go beyond their false visions of the Messiah. They couldn't see Jesus for who he really was. Fast forward, guys. Even after he rose from the dead and he's having time with them, he's shown himself to them 40 years, 40 days rather, 40 days. 
And they're in the upper room. Do you remember Acts chapter 1? And they're having a great conversation. And they are amazed he is here. He's risen from the dead. And one of them, it could have been James and John, I think, I suspect. Because they're the guys who really love. Remember James and John, eh? who would sit on the right hand, who would sit on the left. Do you remember that story? Those guys loved power, just like you and me, right? <laughs> they're the ones who say, is this the time the thing is going to happen? Kingdom of God. Forget cross things. Eh? Kingdom is going to be reflected. Even after, so this imagination, Jesus wants us brothers and sisters to confront our false visions of who God really is and focus our attention on who God is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Focus on who he is as revealed in the cross and the resurrection and indeed, subsequently, the work of the Spirit. What does the cross do? What the cross does is it decenters us. We are not at the center. All these false visions, here is a character that is true to them. There's a DNA about all of them. Whether it's the Jews, whether it's the Samaritans, whether it's King Herod, whether it's James and John, all of them, their imaginations center them. It is about them. It's the other is invisible. The invitation there for friends is in focusing our attention on who Jesus is and those two passages of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. The invitation for us to see, to understand, must begin by renouncing our false visions, by renouncing the way in which we are centered. It is about us. I've shared with you before how difficult it is for me to sing some of our songs. I've shared with you before that part of those false imaginations are created by our cultures. I've shared with you before, and I say it again, Lord have mercy, in this culture, if I was on the continent in Uganda, I would speak about something else. So I'm not being critical. I'm embracing who you are by your culture. But individualism is one of the biggest demons of this culture. And we must confront it. And let me tell you, it is in our songs. It is in all the adverts. It's everywhere you confront it. My God, what a demon, what a structure. It has systems, it has structures, it's unbelievable. Your healthcare system serves it. Your politics serves it. My God, and a particular people. So friends, we must confront these evil powers by the power of the cross, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the only way in which that is possible for us is to come to terms with our own false visions, our own distorted imaginations. That is the invitation today. Reimagine who Jesus is. Renounce our false visions. That is to say, for once, please remember, you're not the center. Ah, can I give you another line? You grew up believing 
Jesus is my personal savior. Jesus is whose? Hello? Jesus is whose? My personal savior. Okay. <laughs> Let me even give you another one. Whose Bible is this? It's mine. No, the Bible is mine. I bought it, please. I paid money. No, actually, it was given to me. So this idea of me, mine, <laughs> the way in which we see the world through this lens called me. The invitation to us is to see the world through the cross through Jesus crucified, risen, through the work of the Spirit. Then we shall know what the real powers we must confront are. We've talked about individualism. We can talk about the wars that divide us. The wars that divide us. We can talk about systems and processes. That's what the cross invites us into. Let us pray.